Welcome to Manager Tools. Today's topic, smart interviewing in a downturn. Hi everyone, this is Mike and welcome back to Manager Tools. Today we're going to talk about how to interview effectively during a downturn, particularly the difficult to fill positions. You know, when you actually do get to fill a position during a down market, it usually means it's a critical position and or one that's been open for a long time. Because you're in a buyer's market, it's usually pretty easy to find a good, even an exceptional candidate, but you have to change how you interview in that situation and that's what we're going to talk about today. Here we go. Well, we've always said that hiring is absolutely the most important thing managers do. It is. Yeah, and and those managers who are, you know, okay at developing people and okay right. at planning, right? But great, like stellar at hiring. And they always get the right. very best, and and they get folks who are great fits. Those folks are going to outperform the manager who's only average at hiring, every single time. Right. Yeah. And that's, you see, managers, other managers can see us doing the development and the planning, right? Or quite frankly, what most managers believe, hit home runs on projects. That makes you a great manager. And they're confusing positive press in the culture and the company with what really makes for great managers. And it is. And it's it, it, to me, I'm amazed we don't get more mail, more comments when I say it. And we don't say it that often, but when we say it, we mean it. The most important thing a manager does is hire. And the reason this cast is so important is hiring in a downturn is different. Hiring is hard. It's hard to do well just because so few people do it well. But when you do it during a downturn, there are extra criteria. You just have to do more. Okay. So, so before we get into like what we're going to do differently, okay. uh, why is it different? Why, why is it so different during a downturn? Okay. All right. Good. So I'd be willing to bet now that I, I, let me preface this by saying, I bet you when I say these things, managers are going to nod their heads and go, yeah, he's right. You know, gosh, yeah. I never thought of it that way. The first one is this. When you make hires during a downturn, there's a greater sense of urgency on the part of managers, right? Oh, sure. We totally want to have people who hit the ground running. You know, we've got stuff we need done now. And so basically expectations are higher for those kinds of of hires when, when when we're in a downturn, okay, and Ooh. then okay, that's okay. We're gonna come back to that because I, I I see a problem there. Okay, go ahead. Right, okay, right, right. Okay, so we've totally got to address the special circumstances, or we're gonna make a bad hire. So you not only got that greater sense of urgency, and then you put on top of that the expectations, and it just it's not a double edged sword exactly. It's just two things that work against one another. Right. Yeah. So, look, we've got to address those special circumstances, the situation we're talking about, or we're going to end up making a bad hire. And the real danger is bad hires anytime are bad, right? I mean, the only thing worse than saying no to somebody and regretting not hiring them is hiring the wrong person and having to deal with them. Um, It's always better to say no. But if you make a bad hire in a downturn – when trying to fill a position is really hard, when position getting an open wreck is dear, when the need is high, 
I got to tell you, there there are places an executive looks, gives a special requisition to a particular manager for a particularly important opening. The manager makes a bad hire. That's a career limiting move. Yeah, it yeah, is. That, that, that career termination blinking red light on yeah. the top of your head starts going really Yeah, fast. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So now that we understand why it's so important, why it is different during a downturn. Let's let's talk about what, what are we going to talk about today? Yeah, we've got so sort, sort of a, you know, multiple bullets. We've got six bullets we want to share as background simply because at this point we haven't laid out all 50 casts we're going to do on on hiring so we need to we need to lay some groundwork about what what our concepts are based on what are our premises and then we also have six steps on the how to the background is first of all this cast assumes that top talent isn't on your bench in this case right because if they were you just hire somebody from your bench B, too many people get excited about great talent and skills during a downturn. C, our normal interview probably won't get us the extra we need. Okay. Normal interviewing is not enough here. Uh, D, we've got to interview for cultural fit. And E, we've got to interview for collaborative abilities. Okay. And F, we're not saying here that we don't recommend you always do this. Doing what we're recommending here in this cast is a great plan. We're just saying that whether you do it or not, if you don't, you oughta. And if you do it, you oughta really elevate it and make it key. Okay. Now, that said, we've got six simple steps. First of all, you've got to conduct more interviews. You don't tell the interviewee that collaboration is key. That's a, that's a weakness that a lot of managers have. They give it away in advance. Three, you create some simple behavioral questions that address the issue of collaboration, which, oh, by the way, we've done that for you already. Uh, number four, you have to ask them for their biggest accomplishment in the recent past, and you have to look for a specific type of answer. You've got to end your day with dinner. We'll talk about why that is in a little oh, bit. And great. then I love that and part. Then, it's good. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. And then at the end, when you're capturing results, you've got to elevate cultural fit and collaboration when you have your interview, interview results capture meeting. So that's, that's 12 points. I know it's a lot, but this is, you know, hiring is important and this type of hiring is risky. So we've got to be clear. Okay. So looks like we're gonna have a long one, but yeah. So let's, let's, let's get right into it. So your first point about um, in background was that we assume the top talent isn't on your bench in this case. Right. And right. That, that's, that's a bad assumption. Right. Yeah. Um, Could be. I mean, maybe it's true. And then in that case, you got a different problem, but. Right. Right. But, but think about it. Right. I mean, one of the reasons one of the many reasons you were successful was because you knew who was good in the organization and you had a relationship with them. And when you had an opening, you got who you wanted, right? Right. Yeah. And part of that, that I mean, when it all comes down to it, that was it. That was what made me <laughs> successful. I mean, I had great yeah. people. See, you I'm and stupid. I, we They're agreed smart. on this stuff. The whole issue of hiring, it's like, I, I said to you once, yeah, the thing people, they, they, they think that I would tell them the most important thing managers can do is one-on-one, one-on-ones. And I said, no, no, no. The most important thing you do, and you said, get good people. <laughs> there you go. There you it's go. all about people. It's horseman's first law. We just want to be clear. There are a few of you out there who are listening who have great benches, and we applaud you for it. Uh, and, and in that sense, this cast is not for you to some degree because you know those people well enough uh, that are on your bench. That That's the idea of the bench. You know them well, and you're able to surmise these things in advance. But look, if we're not 100% certain that someone on our bench has these abilities— that are particularly important in this downturn, it's possible we could take them to lunch. We could ask them point blank about these criteria, frankly. And some of you may be thinking, those of you who don't have benches might be thinking, what? I'd take a friend to lunch and sort of quiz him. 
And the fact is, one of the most interesting things about benches that we've learned over the years is those who you have on it, when you tell them, look, you're part of my bench. And when I have openings, I'm going to talk to you about openings because you're my kind of person. I believe you're successful. I believe you're ethical. I believe you're a leader. You make things happen. Um, so on is, is they're not only thrilled to be on it, they're totally willing to have a candid conversation with you about their skills and whether or not they fit you at that particular time. In fact, right. Isn't it, isn't it reasonable, Mike, that we might find somebody on our bench that's good for many of our positions, but we might not find them perfectly fit for an opening during a downturn because of something that they don't have. Exactly. Maybe they're not a perfect cultural fit, or maybe they're not as collaborative as you wanted to be. Right. But the fact is, though, if they're on your bench and you have a relationship with them, they don't mind at all these conversations. As a matter of exactly. fact, they want to have these conversations. Exactly. They, they want to be having an ongoing discussion about what they're doing, what their background is, and how they might be able to help you. Right. Um, and because of the relationship, they want, they want to be there for you when you need them. Right. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and we, we just, we started out that way to, to make it clear. We have that assumption that the vast majority of us don't have a robust bench. Yeah, we're sure we'd love you to have one. We haven't told you how to build it. We, we've alluded to it a lot. I think many of you have figured it out. But look, regardless of whether you do or don't, you need to be smart about hiring in a downturn. So therefore, those of you who don't have a great bench, this cast is definitely for you. Great. Okay. Yeah. So going forward, we're just going to assume folks don't have a great bench. If you do, great for you. Then right. you, may not, you may not need this. So, right. okay. So our second point about the kind of background we want to cover is that the fact that too many people get excited about great talent and skills, right? The, the, the talent right. skills focus. Yeah. And, and that's, they, they, that's they, the they, they see people as a bucket of skills, right? A bucket of talents. I can't argue with you. Sometimes when we look at people when we're making evaluations, we do the same thing. And it's really frustrating for companies because, look, there are always needs for people. In every firm, there's always potential to add a person and really have them make a difference. But if you, if, if you get an open requisition to hire in a downturn, that is really saying something about how critical the position is. Somebody senior, probably, oh, may, maybe you, has said, wow, even though we may be laying off somewhere else, or even though we have a hiring freeze, or even though it's unofficially a freeze, or even though I've told you don't hire anybody, even though there's no, no, no corporate policy about it right now, for the right position, in the right situation, in the right market where we have a chance to grow, we may choose for one position to make a hire and to open that requisition. The position really does need to be filled. And the mistake that managers make, and, and I've made it and many of us have made it, is that when we have that opening, when we recognize that sense of urgency we're feeling, too many of us narrow our view of potential candidates. We don't see the whole person. We don't think about fit. We don't think about them a year from now. And we just zero in. What skill set do we need? What, what do we need this person to do? And what accomplishments do they need to have had so that we can prove that they're right for the job? And we end up looking just for that. We just see people as cardboard cutouts of skill piles, right? And if the guy's got the right skill piles or she's got the right skill piles, well, that's the person we want to hire. And we can just assume that wherever they are now, they're going to go and come here and they're going to be fine. Now, look, you know, we're, 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 we're not saying we don't want you to hire somebody you know, without skills and accomplishments. We, we, okay, I'm we, glad you said that because I was going to go like, okay. Yeah. No, <laughs> so, no, we, we want a big fat pile of skills and achievements, right? <laughs> okay, good, good. Okay, yeah. we're clear on that, good. But, but, but the thing is, too many of us react too quickly, right? 
you realize, we realize that the rec is going to close. You know, the, the, the director, the executive is not going to say, sure, take as long as you want. They're going to say, look, you better find somebody because this is politically sensitive. This rec is open. It's going to make other people want to go to the senior executive who opens recs and say, I, if he can get a rec, I can get a rec. And, and if three or four recs are open, suddenly the CEO or an EVP goes, hey, shut down those recs. Right. We just laid off 100 people. Right. Yeah. This particular rec Stargate is closing quickly. Right? There you <laughs> Okay. So, so look, here's what we do. We react quickly. Okay. We call recruiters. We call friends. We ask our peers. We ask associates. And when we think about positions to fill, we think about what the person needs to do. That means skills and abilities. We narrow our focus to the best skills in the most important area. We start doing very top one and two criteria at the very time that we should be fully considering everybody. We want to be fast, and so we narrow our analysis, when in fact, it's exactly opposite because what we most need is the perfect fit, and fast and perfect rarely go together. Look, it's normal. If something has to be done fast, it's a normal heuristic to say, okay, let's pick the top one or two things and make sure we hit on those. But it's inherently a shortcut, and shortcuts always increase risk. Yeah, and and risk mitigation is the story here, right? Yeah, exactly. Look, we substitute our speed for our fundamental smarts. We increase our risk of a bad hire at the very time when our fundamental premise must be risk mitigation against the bad hire. Right. Yeah. So, look, part of the reason we focus on great skills is that it's easy we, we we all know how compelling it'd be to hear about a candidate saying, she's done it before. Look how good she did at X, Y, Z. And when you hear done it before, that's great. But it implies something about the person that most managers have never heard of before, frankly, when it comes to management. And that is goodwill. And the problem is they had goodwill where they were, but they won't have it where you are, where, where they're coming to. And the, the theory being goodwill doesn't travel very well. So we'll, and we'll come back to that. You said uh, something interesting, which um, you know I, I think our, our normal interviewing process that we've described before is pretty thorough. Yeah, yet, oh, it yet, is. Yet you said it probably won't get you the extra you need. Why is that? Yeah, okay, look, too many of us are naturally too speedy in interviewing when it comes to hiring, okay? Naturally. If you ask me, go out, interview 20 managers, how long did it take them to make hires? In those cases where they made a hire, I would say, wow, I would, I would have taken longer. I just generally slow things down when it comes to hiring. More, slower, more full, more detailed, more accurate, okay? But then if you, put, if you put that same manager in the hot box environment of a downturn and it's for a critical position, too many of us want to speed up. And I know I'm, talking, I'm beating that horse, but I'm sorry, it's true. The Stargate is closing, right? So what we know is that most managers don't follow our process, right? The good ones do. They know to slow it down. They beat people up when they go through the interview and they say, the reason you got beat up is it's a high wall you have to climb over, right? We, one of our first things on hiring was set the bar high, okay? So if we're not doing enough already and then we speed up, what are the chances we're going to end up doing more while we speed up, right? right? So we believe in our process. That would slow most managers down enormously. And we know that even if you follow that process, there's still yet more to be considered because this is a unique situation and and you want to increase the things you do to mitigate your risk. Good. Now, now one thing I've found in 
interviewing during times like these is that, you know, you, you probably ought to pay attention to it all the time, but uh, we tend not to. What I found, right. though, is that paying attention to cultural fit and interviewing for cultural fit is absolutely critical in times like these. Yeah. And you know, it's funny. I, I've learned a phrase that when I hear it, you know, I, I said earlier, she's done it before. And that's the phrase that usually managers mean, oh, the right talent and skills, probably right. going to be a good fit. The other phrase that I hear that people believe is a good proxy for cultural fit, and it's not, is either out loud or in a manager's head, they say, I like him. Right. And people mistakenly believe that because they like somebody, they're a cultural fit. But that just means that one person likes them. Nothing wrong with liking them. We want you to hire people you like. But that's the shorthand that managers go through that I've seen too often. Mark, I like this guy. Yeah, but he's not right for the culture here. Right. Oh, yeah, I guess I didn't think about that. We immediately say, I like him, so therefore he's okay for the culture. Look. Right. Well, this, this goes back to, I, I think you mentioned the term goodwill earlier. Yeah. Um, and, this, and, you know, companies have goodwill. And, and right. frankly, goodwill is a, a, a big piece of their their evaluation, right? It's one of those mm-hmm. intangible assets that, that actually has value. Well, professionals have goodwill as well in their company. And guess what? Yeah. That goodwill they have in company A, when they come to work for you, they don't have it anymore. And got it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's not, there's not a management valuation put on it because the goodwill goes to zero when manager A, manager company A goes to company B. The simplest way to describe it is, is, as it relates to job changing, is the ability, goodwill is the ability one has to get things done where one is presently working, which is based on existing relationships, previous work experience there, their reputation there, their time in the role and their organization, which would not exist somewhere else. Yeah, there are rare exceptions. If you hire a Nobel Prize winner, or if the person is an industry thought leader, right? But how often does, I mean, Raise your hand out there if you've actually ever hired somebody who's an industry thought leader and written white papers and spoken at conferences and so on. Yeah, I don't see any hands. Okay. (laughs) Um, It's easier to do things where you are now than it is to do them somewhere else because of goodwill. If for no other reason, you know where the heck the coffee pot is and the copier is. But but it's more than that, right? Um, right. Well, this is something we got to come back to on a different cast because this applies. Yeah. You, you got to think about this when it comes to thinking about whether you want to go to a different company. Yeah. Right. How easy over. is it to for for you to get things done at your company based on your history and so on? Yeah. All new hires lose all the goodwill that was a big part of what made them successful, and if you don't make them a cultural fit, and they lose their goodwill, and they come in and you want them to do something fast, they're unlikely to be successful. So we've got to evaluate a candidate's natural fit with our firm. That means considering even more carefully than hopefully we normally do about whether their natural tendencies are naturally aligned with the norms and values of our organization and our people. So good. I could do 10 casts on goodwill because I just see it. I see it being missed so often, and I've sat at many tables when we're talking about people at other firms, and I said, let's talk about goodwill for a minute. That guy has a billion dollars worth of goodwill, and he'll lose it all when he comes here because nobody knows him here. How yeah. good would he be here? Right. One of the things I've, I've found talking about goodwill, uh, a big piece of, of goodwill that folks build up is because of their collaborative abilities. Right? Oh, yeah. It, You're right. With all Relationships. That- yeah, relationship. Have we ever talked about that before? <laughs> I, think, I don't know. I think maybe, maybe a little bit. 
But with, with all that goodwill gone, we've also got to do something to account for the, that part of any candidate's success and how it will translate into the firm. That, you know, yep. that success based on their ability to collaborate. Right. And the way we do that is to address their ability to collaborate with others when we interview them. Right. And without any goodwill, by definition, and without right. any collaborative skills, anyone asked to make a significant contribution is going to fail. Yep. Right. And, and if you're thinking, you know, we talked earlier about reducing risk. If you're talking about reducing risk <laughs> in a downturn and you hire somebody without collaborative skills, man, you're nuts. Up. And, it, and it's going to be our fault if we allow Yeah, exactly. It. That's the thing. It's not going to be the new guy's fault that you hire that doesn't do well. It's going to be the executive who says, I put out my neck for you. I defended the one open wreck in our division for you. And you hired the wrong guy. You ain't never getting an open wreck. When everybody else has got a wreck, you're going to be the last one in line. Right. And I had a small piece of it as well is that, you know, if you're hiring somebody in a downturn, everybody else knows it. It's rare. Yep. It doesn't happen. I tell you what, you bring somebody in who can't collaborate with others. That's a high uh, wall for them to climb over. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh, think about the hurt feelings. I didn't even think that's not even right. We yeah, didn't exactly. even talk about that. Yeah. You got a guy like this. You got a guy coming over here telling me what he's going to do and what I have to do for him. And he's the guy you hired in this downturn and this guy ain't collaborative and that you want me to swallow hard to deal with a guy that you hired when nobody else could get an open wreck? I don't think so, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. That's the way to make, make friends. Nobody else yeah. can get a wreck. You got one and you hire a jerk. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Good luck with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. One, one more point, which is, look, we're not suggesting that the only time you look for cultural skills and collaborative skills is during a downturn. What we are saying is if you're already doing that, great, do it harder now in a downturn. Okay. And if you're not doing it, oh my gosh, if you don't, your risk is tripling, quadrupling, quintupling overnight, and you've got to start doing it. And that's why this cast exists, is to give you specific ways to address collaborative and cultural fit and some other things that will help you feel better and reduce your risk if you do choose to hire somebody. Right. So, okay, so now we get to how to? Now we get, now we get to, the, to, the, to, I guess, the meat of it, maybe. So the question here is, okay, with all that background, what are we going to do differently? Like, how, okay, so we understand that. Now what do we do? Yeah. <laughs> Tell me how. And rule number one is conduct more interviews. Just literally more, okay? Now, it's important that when you and I say interviews, what we mean is a professional is going to spend time, at least an hour, with a candidate. And that professional's opinion is going to be considered when we capture results from the interview at the end of the day or the end of two days or whatever. If you get an interview from a person, that person gets a potential veto, a likely veto power over you. And so we don't just mean having more people talk to the person. We mean more full, in-depth interviews. Yeah, okay. Well, that's that sounds simple enough, right? But yeah, but it's totally counterintuitive based on what I've seen for managers because of the speed issue. Exactly. That need for speed, the fear of that gradually closing Stargate, the wreck Stargate, right? It gets in our way. We're ready to go. Ready, fire, aim. And while normally I'm a big fan of ready, fire, aim, this is not the time to be doing that. Well, well not only do we need to to do more interviews, the interviews are actually longer and, and deeper. And, yep. and yep. we, we got to listen harder. We got to dig for facts. I mean, it's, it's not just more. It's, it's longer, more detailed. Yeah. Oh, Look, instead of four interviews on the day you're interviewing them, they're going to have eight from 8 a.m. until 6 p.m. And they're going to be in over to lunch by somebody. And then... And, and by the way, in advance of that, we're going to conduct multiple telephone interviews. 
And it's no problem. We actually encourage you to have people do a telephone interview of somebody and then again do the, an interview in person, even if they like them during the telephone interview. Okay. Look, there's nothing wrong with telling the candidate, hey, we're sorry we're taking so much of your time. We do not apologize for putting candidates through a rigorous process or for a more rigorous process during a downturn. Look, at here's what you say. You just say, that's just the way we do it here. We're careful about every hire because we care fully for our team. And you say that a few times and you'll figure out the meaning of it. So, yeah, you're right. We, we not only listen harder in each one, we fill the day with interviews. Every single person who is going to be a key collaborator with them gets a shot at interviewing them. Right. And, and just to make sure, folks, that all our previous advice about interviewing still applies here. They use the same form. They yep. ask the same questions. Yep. That's they right. Do all that. Right. Right. And look, if we have any doubt at all about whether or not there are enough people are going to see them in one day, we have them over for a second day or at least a morning of interviewing. Because all that does is increase the cost of one hotel night, right? It's still going to be the same round-trip airfare if they're flying them in. You're not really serious, right? I mean, this is a downturn. I'm busy. I got tons of stuff to, to do. I haven't been able to hire for three months. And now you want me to do two days of interviewing for one wreck? <laughs> are you kidding me yeah yeah i do um yeah because again again oh, the yeah, underlying yeah, premise here yeah you're kidding me yeah I, yeah, no, yeah no i'm not um yeah uh, the underlying here premise here is risk mitigation because if somebody goes through all that work and everybody knows they've gone through two hard days of interviewing and at the end everybody says yes that really means something yeah, but what if they say no? I mean, then I've wasted two days of my yeah. time. Yeah, okay. Yeah, no, you haven't wasted two days. You've no. insured yourself against many, many, many days of having the wrong person in the role, right? Uh, okay. You're just buying right. insurance. That's all you're okay. doing. Okay, buying insurance. Okay, yeah. that's and, good. And that's insurance good. for this is expensive because the danger is high, right? Um, but look, if everybody likes them, there's a difference between the candidate feeling it was tough and his future peers knowing it was tough. The first part, the fact that the candidate might feel it was tough, you know, the, I'm willing to accept that as a necessary evil, right? You got to break a few eggs. The latter thing, future peers knowing it was tough, is a total competitive, competitive advantage. She comes in and her peers, the people who interviewed her, know that she made it through the gauntlet, that she's absolutely the best quality. We didn't go too fast. We didn't uh, skimp on things. And she made it through. And she's the quality of person that we want. So that's why. Two days if you have to. Okay. And so the way we make sure we get uh, somebody collaborative is that we want them to, you know, we want them to tell us about times that they were collaborative. So we just start off and say, hey, look at Collaboration is really key here. Give me a few examples. Yeah. Hey, look at. Um, <laughs> give me. A few. Yeah. Keep it to yourself. It's it, look. There are times when, if you're looking for leadership skills, it doesn't matter how many times you tell them they have, that you're looking for leadership skills. They either got them or they don't, and they ain't good enough an interviewee if you're giving a good interview to fool you. Okay. Unless you're totally certain that you've got a, a, a roster of really highly competent interviewers, and just to be clear, I'm sorry, I love you guys, but you don't, okay? <laughs> mm -hmm. 
you can't let on that one of your core concerns is collaborative abilities. Because what happens is if your team isn't up to it and you tell them collaboration is important, they're going to mention a lot of the people and they're going to talk about other people. But they, that may not mean anything regarding collaboration. Uh, a high D, a forceful dominant person who knows collaboration is important, is going to talk about the team a lot. But that's not a behavior when they talk about the team. Um, you've got to hear proof, and the proof will be in the way they talk about accomplishments. Okay, well, let's let's assume for a second that folks are following our advice and they're getting, you know, all the folks that this person, if they get hired, is going to collaborate with. Right, they're involved in the interview process. Right, do you share the fact, given that they're probably not as good an interviewer as uh, this this typical manager tools manager? Right, um, do you share with those folks that you are looking for collaboration? Great point. And the answer is yes. Yes. Okay. I also tell them we're not, we don't share that with him. And we, t- we look in advance, I send them the interview tool, right? I give them the questions that they're going to ask. And there's going to be a question or two about collaboration. Even if I miss and I don't tell Jerry, my, my one of my guys who's interviewing uh, this person, that uh, collaboration is the key. Jerry's going to ask those collaboration questions and he's going to get a sense based on the answer. Okay, so then at the closeout meeting, you're you're gonna you're gonna query Jerry for yep. examples that he heard absolutely that describe collaborative. Behavior. We're gonna we're gonna elevate collaboration as one of the to the fifth the 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 fifth wheel, if you will, in our final review, saying give us a yes or no reason and then a yes or no decision, and then tell us in these five areas, including collaboration, what you heard and saw that caused you to like or dislike. Okay. So, okay, so once again, I was wrong. We don't tell the candidate that collaboration is key. Uh, yeah, this is well yeah, said. Just, just do the opposite of what I say. Okay, so <laughs> we're going to do that. So then we need to have some behavioral questions around collaboration. Yeah. So how do we do that? Yeah, look, people say, okay, fine. I, I want to understand their collaborative skills. Should I just, one person said, that's easy. You just listen for other people's names in their answers. And I had to hand it to him. It's better than nothing, right? Right. The person who mentions a lot of other people's names is, in everything else being equal, is probably slightly more collaborative than the person who mentions no other names when they interview. Um, and of course, people get all kinds of bad information about interviewing, saying one person will tell them, say we a lot because it's team, you know, team is big now. And other people say, no, you've got to say I because they're only hiring you. And they feel like they're being bounced between two people who probably don't know anything anyway. Yeah. If there's using other folks' names quite a bit, that that's that's one indicator, but a name is not behavior. Yeah, exactly. Right. That's We're the key. That, look at manager tools keeps coming back to that over and over again. It's all about behavior because behavior are what behaviors are what people do. And action is what creates the right actions, the right behaviors are what creates profitable organizations. Okay. So I got an idea. Why why don't you make it really super simple for folks? And just give us a couple of questions oh, you that think? we can use in our interviews, and we'll just we'll just copy them. We'll just say word for yeah. word what you say. So you're yeah. on the spot. Okay, good. Give me two. Um, yeah, it, it'll be in the show notes, right? We ask specific questions designed to hear their skills. Here are two. First one: Tell me about a time when you had to work with others to achieve something difficult at work in the last couple of years. What was the goal? How did you go about including others? What did you do? And what were the results? And were you collaborative? Oh, no, no, we didn't nope. say that. Oops. <laughs> yeah, don't say <laughs> Nice. And then the second one, describe for me an accomplishment where you had to rely on others to accomplish the mission and not just your subordinates. 
How did you engage with your associates? And what was the result of your efforts? Now, I tell you what you'll hear a lot in this question, in both these questions. Oh, I talked to this person. And the effective behavioral interviewer would say, well, tell me about that conversation. What did you say to Tina? What did you say to Christy? What did you say to Barbara? Right? You, you have to ask. And all too often, well, you know, I talked to them. And then you realize that it's probably pretty thin. They know they have to talk about collaboration, so they talk about talking to the people. But in fact, they can't recall the details. They don't do any of the things you're looking for. And these questions with a little bit of digging will tell you, will, they will basically, again, as we always look for in interviewing, spread the field. Tell me how much different the top person is from the bottom person. Good. It's crucial. You've got to do this. You've got to ask collaboratively based skill questions in hiring in a downturn. Good. Okay. So folks go get the show notes. The, the questions. Are yeah, right there. there you go. Okay. So we, we asked them that, you know, question, are you collaborative? No, right. we, we don't do that. And then we, <laughs> <laughs> and then we asked for their biggest accomplishment in the recent past. Right. Right. And look, this is easy with the previous question, no matter where you ask it in the interview, when you, when you ask these collaboratively behavioral skill questions, that's one thing. Okay. But when you ask for their biggest accomplishment, Everyone tends to narrow their focus and they, they essentially start selling what their primary skill is. Okay. If they've got any collaborative skills, you'll hear it. Okay. And so you're asking the question and you want to see whether or not they naturally include others and behavior toward others and with others in their recitation of their answer. Do they mention specific conversations? Do they discuss negotiations, for instance? Do they talk about concessions they had to make? Did they talk about agreeing to step back? Do they suggest that they allowed another person's agenda to take precedence for a certain reason over, over theirs? Do they engage in behaviors which show you that they're maybe able to lose the battle and win the war? And what we find is those people who are collaborative, you'll hear those kinds of things in their biggest accomplishments because collaboration is important to them. If their biggest accomplishment does not show you the collaboration, look, that's not a good sign. If you bring this person into a new situation and he or she thinks it's a mandate, right? You give them the impression that go, 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 go. He's likely going to lead with his strengths. He's unlikely, though, to be successful if you or your peers have to take him aside a couple of times and say, hey, this is how it's done here, because he ticks some people off because he's not collaborative, because they don't know him and they're having to build a relationship while they're working on an important project. Right. Yeah. If you don't see any really, really solid evidence of collaboration in in his big example, right? Big example, this right. Is the, you know, yeah. This is his biggest accomplishment, and you don't hear anything in there about collaboration. Yep. And- you don't hear anything from others that suggest he, he covered it when they interviewed with them, then you got to say no. You have to. Yep. And, and start you start looking, looking for another candidate. Yep. You start looking for somebody else. Yeah. And it's painful. Maybe it's at the end of the second day, everybody goes, I wish he was more collaborative, but he's not. And what we're telling you is don't say he's good enough. He's done it before. He's great at his old place. He'll work it out here. Right. And if you got to say no, it's incredibly disappointing. I mean, it, it is. And particularly because if you say no, then, which, you know, why, why would you delay it any further? You don't get to go to dinner. It's <laughs> the, the best part. And so you're hoping somebody's going to give you some examples of collaborative behavior so you can go to dinner. So, yeah, so now let's talk about <laughs> nice dinner. One. Yeah, everybody loves going to interviewing dinners, right? Yeah. Look, 
D ending with dinner is a good idea when you're looking to mitigate your risk. When you really want to be certain about a candidate, you interview them all day, and then we go right ahead and go into a multi-person dinner. And it may not feel like an interview to you, or maybe even to her, although she ought to know better. But let's face it, she's still being evaluated. You don't have to interview them. You don't, you don't have to ask interviewing questions at dinner. In fact, we strongly recommend you don't. We just recommend you take them to dinner. But if there's any chance at all that you and your team haven't gotten the best sense of a candidate, dinner at the end of a hard day of interviewing is a great way to see two things. A, if she tends to let down at dinner, and when she does, is truly who you want her to be, or B, doesn't let down and continues to impress. This is something that people disagree on. I generally don't recommend we tell the candidate about dinner as long as return transportation is be considered in that and you, they, they haven't planned a flight at seven o'clock not knowing that they're going to go to dinner. Right. As long as they know that they're going to be there till, say, dinner's going to end at 730, as long as they know that, hey, expect to go till 730. Yeah, exactly. Right. This way, if you're certain that the candidate is not right, you can skip dinner. You don't have to have said, well, because people are going to say, I must not have done well there if they canceled dinner on me. If you've told them dinner in advance and then you skip it, that's not good. Yeah. I might not actually skip it. I might just go anyways and waste my time, but at least I get a meal out of it. So. <laughs> you, you profligate time waster, you. And look, there are Machiavellians here on staff at Manager Tools who would say, you know, regarding surprising someone with dinner after a long day, so much the better. Let's see, let's see, let's see what the surprise does. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. Look, you take all these things we're suggesting on top of the Manager Tools interviewing concepts. These are all full, fair, and complete when it comes to an interviewing experience in a downturn. The question is, why would we want to hire somebody in a down market with a partial, not full, unfair, and incomplete process that is exactly the time to be rock solid in your process? Okay, and then after all that, then I think we've alluded to this, but you just got to elevate culture fit and collaboration in the interview results capture meeting that we always yeah. do after these interviews. Right. And, and look, there's a cast on that. We recommend it as a way for each interviewer to make a higher or no higher decision. And they, we, we recommend they follow it by highlighting four areas, interpersonal, cultural, skills, and technical. And, and I, you know, I'm not going to go back through that cast. We encourage you to give it a listen. What we're suggesting here is that you, you start the capture meeting by reminding everybody, uh, I, want, I want us to add a fifth category to those four, and it's collaboration. If we're going to ask the person we hire to be effective here pretty darn fast, which we obviously are if it's an open wreck and a downturn, they're going to have to be good at collaborating with us from day one. So I'd like to hear what you, the special attention you paid when he or she was uh, here regarding her fit into our culture. And, and look, when I think back on this cast, that's a lot to do. And I think for many managers, of course, I'm comparing it to the manager tools process, right? For many managers, y'all are comparing it to you know, one or two interviews. We know that's a lot to do. And we're telling you, in this case, it's absolutely worth it to spend more and better time on hiring if you're in a downturn. Resist the urge to feel the need for speed about that closing Stargate wreck. Right. It's just, it's just not worth it. Yeah. And once you start doing this in a downturn, then when we have the upturn, just keep doing it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. If you get good at it in a downturn, God, even better in an upturn. Don't yeah. stop. Yeah. 
So you want me to run through a quick overview? Yeah, please, please wrap yeah. up. Don't assume top, we haven't assumed top talent is on your bench. If it is, bravo, send us an email, tell us about it. Too many of us get excited about great talent and skills, but that doesn't always translate. It's built on goodwill, okay? The normal interviewing process that we recommend is probably not enough in this situation, and that's why we did this cast. You've got to interview for culture. You've got to interview for collaboration. And again, these are all good things to do normally. We just know they're particularly important here. And our how-tos are more interviews, telephone interviews in advance, more interviews during the day, have them there for a second day, and more and deeper interviews. Don't shorten your interviews just to get more. Keep them as long as you can and add an extra day if you have to. Don't tell them collaboration is important. Ask those behavioral questions about collaboration. Ask about their biggest accomplishment in the recent past and then evaluate it for whether or not it naturally seems to be collaborative. End with dinner. Surprise them a little bit. See how dinner goes. And then when you capture results, you've got to elevate culture fit and collaboration to make sure that everybody's okay with those two things because those are the quickest killers of a fat, too fast hire, a too quick hire, if you will, when it comes to hiring in a downturn. Awesome. All right, my friend. Thanks, partner. We'll see you later. Well, that's it, everyone. Hope you enjoyed it. Hey, if you're a premium member, make sure you check out the premium document feed that we have up on the website. All the premium documents are in an RSS feed that you can add to iTunes or any other newsreader for that matter. Once you've done that, all the premium documents are available to you all in one place, even in iTunes itself, as soon as they're available. Check out the premium member section on the website for details on how to do that. All right, folks, until next week, so long.